Welcome back to the Aging Project Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together, my friends, we're on a mission to age well, bloody well, if I'm being honest. Let's be real, though. We all need guidance when it comes to aging well, and that's why we've gathered the best possible support team for us. No topic is off limits, and I promise to ask all the right questions, your questions. Before we dive in, don't forget to join our growing community of women from around the world. Sign up at theagingproject.com.au and become part of the Aging Project community. You'll gain access to our treasure trove of podcast episodes, our free five-day morning challenge, and did you know we now have an online store called You Must Try It? It includes products we've discovered from our podcast guests and community. Think low-tox skincare, low-tox makeup, supplements, and more. You'll only find products we've tried, tested, and we love at youmusttryit.com. Are you ready to begin today's episode? Alrighty, let's do it. We shouldn't become complacent with just some persistent low-grade. Like I used to have, it started with acne. I took the antibiotics. This caused terrible dysbiosis. Um, and then I put up with the dysbiosis and the, you know, the sort of the acid refluxy and the food sensitivities. And I never changed my diet until eventually it became rheumatoid. So, like, don't do that. That was Clint Patterson. On Instagram, he describes himself as an entertainer, stand-up comedian, and rheumatoid arthritis researcher, (laughs) two very different roles. He's also the founder of the Patterson Program, a program and community that's helping arthritis sufferers right across the world. We're chatting to Clint after seeing his arthritis story on YouTube, his TED Talk, and learning arthritis is a condition many of us will experience as we get older. Arthritis is such a painful and debilitating condition, uh, with the typical prescription being medication. As always, we like to explore the root cause. We're here to understand what we can do now to avoid or manage this condition as we get older. So, Clint, it is wonderful to have you with us today. Well, I guess you could always make science fun. I guess it is a really big ask to make uh, what you have been through and rheumatoid arthritis fun. I appreciate that the experience that you have and the condition that you have is anything but fun or entertaining. Can you tell us uh, how this came about for you and when the onset was for you and how you really recognised the signs that something wasn't quite right? For sure. Well, it was 2006 and I woke up with sore feet. You know, we did a preamble here about traveling for for comedy to Brisbane and that's where I was. I was in Brisbane doing comedy actually, um, you know, uh, working comedy clubs up there and I woke up in the morning and and I when I was walking around in the morning, my feet felt very tender and I didn't understand why my feet were tender and I thought I'd left my feet out of the covers overnight because I had some, you know, my accommodation uh, wasn't staying at home. But it progressed into my fingers, and then I went and had the blood test at the at the uh, GP when I got back, and he and and he called me in and gave me the grave tone and said, you know, this is rheumatoid arthritis. We need to get you into a rheumatologist quickly. And so I I had um, uh, you know I had symptoms in my feet and fingers, but then the week I was diagnosed, I went and had a game of touch football, and I hadn't played in several years. It was uh, at that stage I just turned thirty one. And touch football 
was something that we uh, did a lot of, uh, you know, in our early 20s coming out of university and so forth. And the boys hadn't been together to have a game of football. Now we were like the old boys playing the young fellas, you know. And uh, I put on a step, which I was proud of, but my ACL popped and you could hear it from one side of the field to the other. And so I'd just been diagnosed with rheumatoid. I was hurting. I remember running onto the field, hurting in my feet. And now the whole new, new level was that now I'd torn my ACL. And so the inflammation went straight to the knee. Mm-hmm. And so the knee became absolutely like disastrous. And no one, would, the two surgeons I consulted wouldn't operate on it. It was too inflamed. So there are complications with surgery when there's a lot of inflammation, not just with infection, but the procedure is difficult and so on. So we had to, you know, go through the rheumatology process, get me on medications and everything in the ultimate goal here to get inflammation down so they could operate on the knee right. and and so on. But the knee operation uh, in that sense, an ACL repair never ended up happening. Um and so I just basically continued to uh, go through methotrexate, uh, increasing doses and, and, and attempt lifestyle changes to, to try and then get off the methotrexate because we wanted to start a family. My wife's seven years younger than me, and so she's in, she was impatient to try and have kids, but also supportive to try and help me to come off the medication to enable that. So it was a difficult time. I mean, it was... Difficult's an understatement. I it was just extremely difficult with so much inflammation in my body, and we had no support around us. So Melissa and I just, you know, were juicing every day and um, running blood tests every month, and j- just trying to get inflammation down. So Clint, you were you're 31 at the time, which again I think is you know early to have any sort of diagnosis um, of a condition, and and particularly one like arthritis, which I appreciate there is there's different types of arthritis. Yours being rheumatoid arthritis, um, we hear a lot about osteoarthritis, which has sort of always been a, an older person's uh, disease or problem. Um, let's talk a little bit about what rheumatoid arthritis is. Or I know again you have an amazing uh, scientific. And, and physics background, an academic in your own right, um, and comedy is obviously on the on the side of that as well. But can you explain the differences in arthritis or arthritis uh, for us? Rheumatoid is like the devil uh, incarnate. That it, it's just it's like multiple sclerosis severity in terms of autoimmune debilitation and so on. It just doesn't affect the nerve endings that affects the joints. So the debilitation can be equally as, as awful uh, when it's left untreated. So um, rheumatoid is an autoimmune disease where the body so-called, so-called attacks itself. And the osteoarthritis is something that uh, is often, yeah, related to wear and tear. But as we can get into in our conversation here, there are so many lifestyle factors that exacerbate osteoarthritis. And so you know, a, a sore hip, a sore knee. Um, there is so much we can do about that. And uh, uh, to a large extent, you get some serious reversal of symptoms um, before you have to go and talk to surgeons and so on later in life. So let's definitely uh, broaden this conversation uh, around arthritis in general, um, rheumatoid being such a small segment of the community. And, um, and, and, and so much of the information overlaps for both anyway. Well, your journey, as you were saying, started with trying to get off the medication that was initially prescribed because you wanted to start a family. Um, obviously, that methotrexate is something that is is 
highly uh, effective in, in treating that sort of arthritis, but highly defective in good health. The toxicity is very, very high. Uh, and uh, yeah, there is a uh, quite a long amount of time that you need to wait six to 12 months after coming off methotrexate before you're allowed to have children from the safety perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's chemotherapy. We're on chemotherapy. Uh, and the tiredness that comes with methotrexate uh, and the nausea uh, for some people, uh, it's significant. So you're not just battling the disease itself, but you're also battling the medications. And so there's this risk or side effect benefit balance that the rheumatologist, the specialist in these diseases, has to manage working with the patient to say, should we try something else? Or are you finding effectiveness there that justifies the use despite the the side effects and so on? And I was taking a tablet form of that drug, and you can take injectable version of that drug to reduce the nausea feeling and sometimes up upregulate the effectiveness and so on. But um, you know, there's so many drugs now uh, available for people with the autoimmune version, the rheumatoid version, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, if someone doesn't like the way that one drug is working or the side effects they're getting, their doctor can definitely step up with an alternative. So the, the landscape's better than, say, our parents and the gold injections and all of the previous strategies they used to use a few, well, say three decades ago, um, where prognosis was awful, the future was looking like wheelchair and debilitation, and now rheumatologists are quite excited about the medications on the market. You know, you've got some of the most uh, highest grossing income drugs on the planet like Humira, uh, which you know broke all records about five or six years ago with the most amount of money, 16 billion revenue or something. So there's a lot of money in in uh, autoimmune treatment because these biologic drugs, which are the advanced drugs that you take when d- disease is significant, are very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And they invest a lot of research into it. And that's how they kind of try to justify the big price tag on the other end before their patent runs out in the next many years. <laughs> but you've invested a lot of time, energy and basically your life in, in helping yourself um, to A, get off the medications and B, develop a system or a program that has worked for you. And we sit here talking to you. You look like a picture of health. You're moving <laughs> very fluidly here as you chat. So obviously your joints are, uh, are feeling pretty good today. And that took you to developing a program called the Patterson program, uh, which doesn't involve any medication as such, but has certainly helped you on your journey. Yes, that's right. So let's make this really clear for people. Uh, I'm absolutely uh, not anti-medication and um, and I don't think you suggested that, but the program itself um, is, is all natural guidelines. You're absolutely right. Um, but as an umbrella approach to this disease, especially with rheumatoid, uh, we want to throw everything at this condition because the long-term effects of the disease left un, you know, uh, uncontrolled is awful. Okay. So what we want to do and the message again, uh, to, to repeat myself is we want to throw everything at it. Now, if that means, going on to a disease-modifying drug like I took methotrexate or one of the biologic drugs like Humira, and and there's probably about nine or ten of those available, Um, to get inflammation down is a win, almost irrespective of how you achieve it. Mm -hmm. Because inflammation anywhere in the body uh, 
causes more intestinal permeability, which is one of the contributing factors to the disease itself, if we're talking underlying cause. Mm -hmm. Inflammation also, of course, is relating to the damage that's happening inside the joints. So if we get inflammation down, we're doing two things simultaneously that are wonderful. First of all, we're protecting our joints. And second of all, we're actually addressing the underlying cause. So drugs like methotrexate and these biologic drugs uh, that, 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 that are available as well, they actually are helping address the underlying cause through a secondary, just through the mechanism of reducing inflammation. They may not be uh, reversing things like the dysbiosis of the microbiome, the oxidative stress, and, 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 and some other uh, contributing factors, but at least they are uh, helping with that component and that's really important. <laughs> and so the typical approach that the most successful clients that we have take are uh, to do a disease-modifying drug or biologic drug in parallel to the natural lifestyle changes. And then what they find is normally the combination of the two is so effective that with time they can have really um, enjoyable conversations with their rheumatologist about coming down hopefully or tapering or spacing out at greater increments the usage of their drugs. And, of course, this is all case by case and person to person with their doctor, but this is the path we see more. What we see less but not never is some people who say, you know, I can't get access to quality medical care, I can't get to a rheumatologist, I don't want to take the drugs or for whatever reason, whatever they, they, they have for not wanting to take medication. And those people only do our lifestyle recommendations and get to a point where they've got normal blood markers, negligible inflammation and living a so-called sort of normal life again. They're in the minority because um, it's just so hard to get the leverage over the inflammation when it itself is driving more of that gut leakiness and the oxidative stress. So it's a hard challenge to do without the sort of medication. And we only have maybe one person every six months come on our podcast to tell that story. And every week we get people coming on telling that the, the, the prior story, which is I did my drugs in your program and now I've got no drugs or anymore or, or very little. Amazing. Amazing. And it is, you know, you want to find a way through this any way you can. And that combination mm. sounds like a winner. But you did mention the magic word in there that we talk a lot here on the Aging Project about, and that is the microbiome. And in, in hand with that leaky gut, it seems to be whether we're talking to um, holistic dentists, whether we're talking to orthopedic surgeons, so much of our chats come down to the gut microbiome. Remarkably, about 20% of our microbiomes in our mouth. So that's where our microbiome starts. And then this hydrochloric acid uh, acts as a deodorizer and disinfectant and basically kills most of the horrible microbes that we're swallowing in our spit that are coming from the environment, whatever we're eating. So the microbiome in the mouth is not particularly a great one or it has more pathogens than, than anywhere else in the body. And so then when we swallow all that, the hydrochloric acid, which of course plays a crucial role in, uh, in reducing those uh, microbes entering our small intestine, the small intestine 
has very few microbes. That's a, that gets swept by bile acid. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the preventative impact of the uh, hydrochloric acid. We tend to not have much microbial activity in the, in the small intestine or the, the upper intestinal tract. And if we do, of course, then we have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, and that correlates with increased symptoms in people with rheumatoid arthritis. And of course, with rheumatoid arthritis, we note that in the studies, it shows that folks have lower hydrochloric acid levels than typical. And so that's what's going on. Low hydrochloric acid, you've got then bacteria entering the small intestine, triggering some leaky gut actually in the small intestine into the bloodstream, which is uh, microbes getting into the blood. And so we go down further and we end up where, you know, approximately 30% of the microbiome is the bulk. We think of it as much, much more, but we got, uh, you know, certainly a lot of the action in terms of rheumatoid down in the colon. And in the colon, we've got, as you said, I think, and just as we were getting started, trillions of microbes down there, something like 28 to 30 trillion is estimated at microbes. Uh, a lot of a lot of various pathogens and viruses and, and, and yeast, all sorts of stuff, but it's generally kept all in balance and under control by our healthy microbiome, healthy microbes. Uh, and all that stuff just gets sort of, uh, you know, uh, limited in its in its uh, impact on us in a negative way. But then when we are, say, highly stressed, or if we've taken antibiotics for a long period of time, which is my backstory, I did five years of antibiotics as a teen, what happens is then you can really disrupt the microbiome. And then those, those otherwise peaceful, uh, you know, and well-controlled, non-helpful microbes can then get uh, higher in numbers and 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 affect our our um, gut wall mm -hmm. and so we've got a protective mucus layer over the inside of our colon which is serves as a as a physical barrier from the microbes actually getting through the gut wall and into our bloodstream and there is an interplay between um uh, microbes that actually consume that mucosal lining, like Acomancia, actually eats that mucosal lining uh, and in turn creates butyrate and, uh, and, and works with other uh, microbes in there to continually sort of uh, act as a, uh, a cycle of repair to the gut wall. But once this gets out of balance and we lose that mucosal lining and we've got microbes right up against the epithelium, which is the cellular lining of the gut wall, inflammation goes crazy because that's that's very, very dangerous because lots of bacteria in our blood could be like sepsis, death. Okay, so inflammation kicks in and that inflammation actually causes more leakiness and then bacteria can translocate into our bloodstream and we can react, our immune system can react to those microbes and the microbial sort of substances like lipopolysaccharide or endotoxin and cause inflammation. And so... Our job is to support our microbiome through our lifestyle so that we can reduce that amount of leakiness, have a nice mucosal protective layer over our epithelium, and aim to help our microbes reestablish the balance that we you know, should have as healthy humans. So here we are with our chat that this can be anyone who suffers from it really any inflammation factor, any autoimmune condition, um, any soreness, any aches and pains. It's coming down to getting that uh, leaky gut fixed up, which you're saying is, is the main cause of, of so many problems, um, and just having that healthy 
microbiome. And of course, someone in your position um, who was going through all sorts of, I guess, trying to find um, solutions to the problem came up with a, a pretty damn good <laughs> one, really, in just having a, a great diet for you. Yes, and it was really for me at the time. I didn't really have much guidance. Um, Dr. John McDougall um, had a book and he had claimed to have helped reverse the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis in five of his patients using a very plant-rich diet, so getting them eating lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and starch-based diet, essentially. And this piqued my curiosity because... I had failed on the only other two books that were available online about people who had told their own story, one with reactive arthritis, which is slightly different, and then another with rheumatoid. And I followed their plans and I, I didn't improve. And so McDougall offered this insight and I followed uh, his guidelines in conjunction with a gastroenterologist guidelines, Dr. Hiromi Shinya out of New York. Uh, he invented the first non-invasive tool to remove polyps from the bowel. And uh, he had a claim that uh, for every uh, bowel cancer uh, patient that he had who he put on his eating plan after, after they had surgery, not one of them ever had a relapse of cancer, which is wow. extraordinary sure. statistic. And so both McDougall and Dr. Shinya um, were advocating eating a plant-based diet. And so whilst I wanted to continue to eat my chicken and my meat and so on, um, because I've always been skinny and I was worried about losing more weight, but my wife encouraged me and, and, uh, she's, she's, she was vegetarian at the time. So she could, she didn't care for the meat that I was eating. So, okay, let's give it a go. Um, and you know, I felt a little bit better, a little bit, and I just stuck with it and with it and with it and then incorporated that with exercise. And the combination of the two, plus I was on the methotrexate, so the combination of the three, I, I did my first year where I didn't get worse. So mm -hmm. I was just getting worse and worse and worse. So in year five or something of the disease, I had a year where I didn't get worse and I took that as a win. And it was agony. I did Bikram yoga, 90 minutes hot yoga every day for 12 months in combination with the maximum dose methotrexate and a very restricted vegan diet. Mm -hmm. Now, I was making mistakes that I can now look back and say, ah, if someone was to do this, I would say, no, 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 make these modifications. But at the time, you know, I was doing things without much guidance and without much interaction with any other, any other people on, on the planet. I'm just doing my own thing. And then I started to make a little bit more progress, a little bit more progress, tweak, 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 and start to get the methotrexate down a little bit and eventually was able to, to come off the methotrexate. So it was effective, slow, and, uh, and, and eventually, uh, eventually got us there. Guess what? We now have meal plans. That's right. Seven-day meal plans are now available at youmusttryit.com. Our team of clinical nutritionists have created meal plans that cater to your health concern. For example, if your weight, thyroid, gut, liver or brain health is worrying you, you can download a meal plan including recipes for breakfast, lunch, dinner and snacks. You'll find our Mediterranean and menopause plans there as well. So take the guesswork out of knowing what to eat 
and how best to support your body. Go to youmusttryit.com, click on meal plans and let's get cooking. The, the vegan diet, which, again, we, we've spoken to Simon Hill uh, and a couple of other very sort of poignant vegans about how valuable it is not only for our health but, but to the planet. Um, but you're saying that wasn't particularly working. Was it the cherry incident, in inverted commas, that really triggered something else for you? And, and I've heard this in, uh, in your TED Talk and, and oh. some other chats that you've had. There was a, a turning point for you, which was eating a bag of cherries. Yes, and um, what happened with the the cherries is that I hadn't washed them. I'd picked them up straight from the grocery store. We were on a long drive, my wife and I coming back from the country where my parents still have a farm out past Dubbo in New South Wales and we're on a long drive and I was experimenting with different foods. And, of course, at that stage, my level of, of knowledge around food and arthritis was at the sort of mums and dads levels, like, oh, take a glycosamine sulfate or, you know, cherries or, you know, apparently a nightshade's bad for you. Like I was at that level, okay? So I uh, eating these bags of cherries in the car uh, by the handfuls and by the time I, I, we got back to our apartment in Sydney, I could feel the, the, the churn in the stomach, you know, something, something's going on. And uh, then I had a... Uh, a big blowout from both ends for pretty much the next sort of 24 hours. And uh, and afterwards I was very worried because I had to lie in bed for most of that time as I had vomit and diarrhoea and so on. And uh, at the end of that, uh, instead of feeling worse and more stiff because I wasn't moving, I actually felt an elation of pain relief. It was extraordinary. And uh, I thought, is it because I vomited and diarrhea, is it because I cleansed sort of something that was in my stomach is it, or is it because I'm not eating? And so when I regained my strength and I ate food again over the next week or two, I then repeated the experiment by just not eating. Oh, right. and, Good. I don't uh, know how you would recreate yeah, that yeah. moment, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I just, I just drank, uh, you know, cucumber and celery juice for a couple of days, which we'd by that point established was really, really helpful for me mm-hmm. in pain reduction. And so I did that for three days and then was able to over three days, not 24 hours, but over three days, able to get my symptoms back down to virtually completely gone, like miraculous levels. Wow. And so then we were like, ah, oh, this is definitely a, a, a gut related issue. Now, not to get too technical on this, but there's more going on now. I realize that when we go into a fasting state, the body heavily deprioritizes the inflammatory response mm-hmm. across the board. And so when you're fasting, it's not just that you haven't got any of the bacteria entering into your bloodstream and having that kind of cross reactivity with your joints. There is also an element of simply just the body's immune system really gets low priority because your body's in a survival state and Mm -hmm. it takes it it takes caloric resources to produce white blood cells and to produce you know antibodies for 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 potential uh you know invaders in the body um and so your body conserves that energy and inflammation just goes down and so um, I didn't know that at the time, but I was convinced. I thought I didn't, without knowing that, I thought there's no other explanation than when I don't eat and I'm empty, there's nothing in my stomach that's entering my bloodstream and therefore 
I've got to work out how to recreate this with food because obviously I can't fast forever. Mm -hmm. And so whilst we, you know, and then we just kept tweaking on the plant-based diet. I didn't revert into any other form of eating. I just kept looking at what, what can I do to maintain my body weight, which I was struggling with, as well as keep inflammation low, as well as try and have a lot of diversity for in terms of like essential nutrients that I need, whilst also trying to have enough energy to go do this yoga all the time. So yeah, a lot of sort of moving parts that I had to mm -hmm. try and um, balance. So you were using yourself and your condition as uh, you're a bit of a guinea pig. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you do come from a, a sort of a scientific background. Um, so this wasn't just plain old trial and error at home. There was a lot of obviously research and thought from you uh, that, that went into this at the time. And you've come up with this incredible program, as you say, hit and miss at the start. Uh, but now you've, you've developed the Patterson program, which I believe, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, would be great for anyone to try um, as an eating program. Does it work that way? Is this something that all of us can do if we just want to feel better, if we've tried paleo, if we've tried keto, um, and, and it's not really working for us as a program goes? Is the Patterson program available to anyone or is it more for uh, conditions like arthritis? Uh, you know, I get that comment all the time that some partner did the program with their with their spouse with rheumatoid arthritis and that partner got rid of their high blood pressure and, and got rid of their... Uh, elevated cholesterol and et cetera, et cetera. And so the answer is yes. Um, and to some extent, it's overkill for a lot of people uh, because there's a lot of food sensitivity testing that goes on in the first few weeks. Now, mm -hmm. um, whilst that is a little overkill, there's certainly no downside to everyone doing it. It just plays into the question of how disciplined is uh, is the person going to be who's going to be undertaking the program? How much motivation do, do they have through pain or frustration with their life uh, that they're willing to eat a lot of the same foods for the first seven days before they get to get into some, you know, some different tastes and flavors and so on? And for a lot of people who are coming from something like a Western diet, it's like driving down a freeway one way and then suddenly pulling on the handbrake and, and, and then uh, skidding over the median strip and trying to go back down the other direction of the freeway because they're just so configured to one way of eating and routines and the microbiomes configured to the previous foods that it's a shock to the system. Okay, so you're so, saying it, it's very intense. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, but at the same time, I get a portion of our users who just say, nothing's as hard as the disease. I would have eaten whatever mm -hmm. you told me, and this is great compared to, you know, waking up and feeling painful. So, mm -hmm. you know, it uh, depends on your perspective coming into it. But certainly uh, we aim to um, go for maximum nutrition, uh, fewest number of food sensitivities, um, meet the nutritional requirements and um, really work on the microbiome to mm -hmm. try and calm down the inflammation and to enable those uh, starved microbes that are going to support our health to get some, to get some foods in that they can actually utilise. 
Okay, so if it's hardcore and you're saying that you probably need to be suffering a great amount of pain to stick with it, what are the key factors or the things that, that you have learned that are in there that would be great for all of us? Yeah, okay. So first of all, we want to eat lots of leafy greens, okay? So regardless of preference to the amount of meat intake in the diet, if we can have a lot of leafy greens, then that's going to help us a lot towards just getting lots of minerals and, and vitamins in that we might be lacking. So, uh, you, ne- uh, you know, as a community of rheumatoid arthritis community around the world, we've got 65 countries uh, using our program, people in those countries, uh, we all agree that the more salad you eat, the better you feel, mm-hmm. the less pain you have. Okay. So this is a good takeaway from our community to the general population. All right. So that's the first thing. Um, next thing is uh, we want to minimize wherever possible the consumption of cooked or heated oil. So once we heat an oil, it creates like a free radical atomic bomb. So if we start with the concept of our oils natural or found in nature we could have a debate about that and what we would probably end up agreeing upon is well maybe olive oil is about as close to what we could create without the industrial revolution and so maybe we were eating some of that prior to industrial revolution but of course then we can eliminate things like canola oil and sunflower oil i mean you can't take a mortar and pestle and create you know sunflower oil right it just was never happening before industrialization so the quantities that people are deep frying chips in and, and, and chickens and all this sort of stuff in the deep fryers, this stuff's so foreign to the body. Now, so let's just look, though, If even if we think, well, have a little bit of oil, as soon as you cook it, though, it just the free radical potential is just so enormous that it goes to an order of magnitude above what we might find from just eating, say, something that's otherwise not that healthy, but just hasn't been deep fried or, or, or cooked in that way. So specifically, what this does for inflammation is it acts like kindling to inflammation. And so, uh, you know, if we were to look at a hierarchy of things that are going to inflame someone who has existing inflammation, then heated oils, particularly things you might find at a restaurant, uh, deep fryer, this is by far and away at the top of the list. And then we're going to come down into, a, depending on person to person, a mix between processed foods, dairy, meat products. Um, and then for some people, it might be uh, wheat. They might have some kind of uh, gluten response. And then we go down, down, down and, and have fewer and fewer reactions to, to certain things. Right at the bottom, things like sweet potato. Not many people react to sweet potato. Not many people react to the pseudo grains of things like buckwheat, millet, and quinoa. And so they're in our program. So these pseudo grains and millet, uh, sorry, and sweet potato and lots of leafy greens. Mm -hmm. And then some specifics that are good for stimulating um, certain, you know, uh, responses in the gut like uh, uh, inulin-based foods like uh, uh, onions and garlic. We include some of those in the early stages as well. So, uh, you know, we're keeping it simple, but, but that's the, uh, 
that, that's some of the some of the tips there is uh, avoid heated oil so anything deep fried just try and eliminate that from your life forever Amen. and when you do eat that <clears throat> if you must eat that you can cheat it in with a salad right because they offset each other so that's something you could do uh, and just eat more salad and this and isn't I, sounding okay, so too bad we're talking we're talking kale and quinoa salads we're talking Buckwheat and spinach, we're talking, um, this doesn't sound too bad at all, but without any sort of oil, um, obviously it's going to be a little bit dry and a little bit tough to get down. So are you allowed to use olive oil as a dressing or are you saying let's start with avoiding that altogether? Um, It's an interesting one. So the studies have, again, let's come back to the studies. So the studies on arthritis, both osteo and and rheumatoid if if they really try to isolate just olive oil not look at a change of diet like shifting from western to mediterranean which Mm -hmm. is going to help everyone right um where they include olive oil but 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 this existing literature says that olive oil does not improve inflammatory arthritis consumption of of, if you made no other change and just added olive oil it it plays no Mm -hmm. no role that that actually is consistent with our understanding of the type of oil that it is. It's mostly omega nine, right? And so when we look at an oil, we often think omega threes anti-inflammatory, omega sixes pro-inflammatory, and that's a gross oversimplification. But omega nine, our body can make it anyway. It's kind of adding sort of like a Switzerland to the uh, mm-hmm. to the body. There's no sort of impact there. So. Um, however, we don't include olive oil in the first uh, portion of the program. Um, and what we do for dressing is we have a white miso dressing, which is which is super nice. And you then benefit also from uh, some of the cultures from the uh, probiotic con- uh, of the, uh, the miso. So that's how we can get some uh, nice flavor on the salads. I've always been really good at eating the salads plain. So I just get like the pre... pre um, uh, washed, mixed from the supermarkets, and just throw them into a bowl and eat them on the side. Um, but people who want the, the the salad dressing can have a salad dressing. So you know, yeah, we're we're warming up the audience. We've got our salad dressing, we've got <laughs> salads, we've got quinoa buckwheat, and we we put some dulse seaweed on top or some wakame or something. And then you've got a really nice salty seaweed flavor on top of the 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 sort of the, the earthy grains. And it's very humble, healing, and uh, and simple. And if we if we're comfortable with going doing something that's humble and not something that's celebratory, prawns mm-hmm. at the, you know, like I'm the king, you know, I've got a great job, I can pay for whatever food I want. If we let go of all that and think, what does my body want? Not what my brain and my ego want, but what would serve my body then we can entertain these humble foods and then we're gonna see our life improve. I think, look, it's the biggest, um, how you put it there, the biggest lesson in any of this uh, ageing well journey that we're on, whether it be eating, whether it be what we use on our skin, how we wash our hair, what clothes we're wearing, all of these things come down to am I prepared to make a change, Um, how big a change am I ready to invest in and is my health 
that important to me or is longevity that important to me? And I think if you can answer those questions, um, there's all sorts of, of changes that we would, would make and can make and perhaps there's some sacrifices we're not prepared to make just yet. But if everyone can do a little bit more of something, it's got to add to years on our life and, and good years on our life, not just more but, but better ones in general. Yes, and sometimes we get used to our problems and we think, oh, that's just, a, you know, a bit of hip pain or that's just, you know, some rosacea on my face or that, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And, it can, and it can slowly become the norm for us. Um, but with rheumatoid, often the pain, we say the pain is a great motivator. And so <laughs> the number of times I've heard people say the following, um, I'm doing your program now, and despite the rheumatoid, I'm now the healthiest I've been in my entire life. So they've become healthy and fitter, um, and so they often cite the benefits of getting rheumatoid as like now they're really fit and they're unlikely to get heart attacks and cancer and so on. The statistics are reduced throughout through the lifestyle. Yeah, we shouldn't become complacent with just some persistent low-grade. Like I used to have, it started with acne. I took the antibiotics. This caused terrible dysbiosis. Um, And then I put up with the dysbiosis and the, you know, the sort of the acid refluxy and the food sensitivities. And I never changed my diet until eventually it became Mm -hmm. rheumatoid. So, like, don't do that. Uh, If you've got something like, listeners, if you've got Hashimoto's, this is a precursor to rheumatoid arthritis in the literature. We see that progress to that. If you've got, like you can get a blood test and find out whether or not you've got uh, elevated rheumatoid factor, which is uh, an indicator of autoimmune potential. It doesn't mean you you have or will get uh, autoimmune arthritis. But over the age of 60, I saw a study that a large number of I think it, I want to say like above 30% of people have rheumatoid factor positive in their blood. So we can be all brewing something and, and let, let's, let's not wait till disaster comes. Let's intervene. And um, people should listen to your, every episode that you guys do and, and really get behind having the healthiest possible life. There's no more joy than feeling healthy and, um, yeah, I, I get excited uh, thinking about health and talking about it. Well, you know that better than anyone. How, how are you feeling now, Clint? How is life for you? Um, we had a big, I had a big setback in 2000 and I think it was 2019. Everything was going swimmingly and then I went out and I had a big deep fried meal late at night, no salad. Uh, I also Why? drink or have Why? So- what, what were you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> I just need to cut loose for one night. <laughs> no, it was more this happened than this. We, we went to our favourite Indian restaurant where it's we call Patterson Approved, right? So, you know, you can eat there. Not too oily. They have salads. You know, they, they open early, like to eat pretty early. Uh, we got away late. There was lots of traffic. We get there. They closed for renovations, and we didn't know. We had no. We're in the. We're in Florida, right? And so we then didn't know where to go. Melissa, my wife, used to work at a at a at a famous restaurant chain that I won't name, and uh, it wasn't fast food, but it was. Uh, it, it sort of caters towards the uh, indulgent. 
And so we end up at this place, then there's no parking. We eventually get a park, then there's a 15 to 20 minute wait for a table. Then we get the table, then we didn't get served for another 20 minutes. It was after nine o'clock at night. The kids were a nightmare. I was so furious. I said, I don't care what I eat. I just got to eat. I'm starving. I'm so mad. And that's how it happened. My goodness. That caused me a lot of setbacks. And so, you know, there were consequences for that. And I saw some some impact on my fingers in terms of their uh, uh, integrity and so on. Um, And so... Since then, I've had to work pretty hard to maintain the status that I had prior to then. Um, but I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in conversations each six months from the rheumatologist and we're in this sort of like observe sort of pattern and uh, there's some things we're just paying attention to, but at the moment we're in just a, a holding pattern and everything's sort of not too bad. Our goal for You Must Try It has always been to be more than a store, which is why through our clinical health coaching, we're offering a growing range of tests so you can get to the root of your health challenge. From hormone, gut to DNA or genetic testing, we have got you covered. Diagnostic testing allows us to deep dive into your own individual biochemistry and what imbalances may exist. The complete microbiome mapping test is just one of the many tests now available via our team of clinical nutritionists. So if you have ongoing or unresolved gut issues, this may be the test that'll give you the answers. Go to youmusttryit.com to book a free 15-minute consult to understand which test might suit you best. Clint, this might be a huge generalisation, but there are obviously foods that trigger sensitivities more than others, um, nuts being one of them. Um, what, what do you have to say about reducing those or, or cutting those out or perhaps how do you even test for those food sensitivities? People with inflammatory arthritis all have different food sensitivities. And so you've got a conundrum where some people might react to eggs, but the next person uh, may react to, as you said, nuts or, um, you know, frequently it might be, uh, you know, cereal grains, uh, gluten-containing grains. And so what we do is we look at all the evidence and we look at also the anecdotal feedback that we've gathered from 17,000 users of our program And we say, okay, what tends to irritate people a lot from the science and the feedback? Let's eliminate as much of that as we can, but yet retain enough food that we can eat to be both compliant and also nutritionally sustained. And let's Mm -hmm. make that the first seven days and then introduce one food back at a time, prioritizing those foods based on several criteria, the least amount of reactivity likelihood as well as the amount of research it has around it in terms of its benefit for either the microbiome or inflammation reduction. And so papaya or cantaloupe or rock melon, as we say here in Australia, um, are really two good examples of foods that we introduce shortly after the first seven days. And that's because we've found that there's a lot of reasons why they have become really anti-inflammatory for a number of things that we don't need to go into but we have prioritized those foods so that we are really trying to accelerate the healing process so that's the first thing food sensitivities it's a real problem and we have to address it using the simple mechanics of an elimination process and that's what works really well 
So you're saying it can happen, it'll happen that quickly. Yeah. Like if you've been eating clean for, mm. for the week and you introduce something after that, you will feel pain personally. You'll feel pain pretty much totally. straight away. 24, within, hour. within 20, hours. 24 hours typically because it takes about 24 hours before you hit swallow until you hit flush, right? And so in that time, the body can assimilate that food and whatever process is going to uh, happen will have happened. But often if the action's going to be down in the colon, it takes you know that duration of time for those for that chime to make its way and, and end up down there. Uh, so yeah, so we have to actually allow 24 hours per food that we test. And it seems laborious, but if you do it right, you only have to do it once in your life. Mm. And that's what's cool. That is cool. That seems really quick to me. I thought it would sort of take that. And I guess, as you say, if you haven't flushed your system out completely with either a water fast, a juice fast, or, or a, a gastro bug, um, if you're starting from clean, that's a, that's a great place to start. So maybe next time you have any of those things, start afresh. Um, but I thought it would. I thought it would take, you know, a week or so to see a change or a difference. No, it's interesting. It, it, it is interesting. One day is uh, just seems optimal for all of no one's No one's ever, I mean, the occasionally someone will say, oh, sometimes I think it sometimes reacts after two days and sometimes people can notice something within eight hours. Mm -hmm. If, if, if we as a community go and eat a, a fast food restaurant, deep fried French fries, we're going to see pain within eight hours for, for most people who undergo that, 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 that process. Mm -hmm. um, so because it's just so pro-inflammatory. But a food sensitivity like a broccoli, cauliflower or something, yeah, that's more on the, uh, on the 24-hour scale. Wow. So if we are going down that path and, and we have spoken about reducing our meat intake for many, many different reasons, um, take, cutting things out of our diet always leaves that question open to are we getting enough of something? Where do you stand with supplementing your diet um, and do you, do you take any? Oh, yeah, um, good question. So with regards to supplements, I take an omega-3 supplement now, again, we come back to the science here because people are different. And so we just want to look at what do the studies say? The studies have mostly been done on fish oil because it's easily accessible, it's cheap, familiar, you know, so on. So, and the studies on fish oil uh, tend to lean slightly towards more likely to help inflammatory arthritis than are a waste of time. So there's a sort of a, a warm orange light go on, 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 on those. Um, and I, uh, so I take a, an algae omega-3 where the science has confirmed that it's just as effective without the potential mercury and, and other side effects of the fish oil. So you can get exactly what you're after in fish oil with an algae oil now. And so I want everyone to take in this into account if they're looking at fish oils. Don't destroy the ocean unnecessarily. Don't filter your omega-3s through fish. Just get them directly from where the fish get them, from the algae. It's cleaner. It's environmentally sustainable. Uh, and it's a little more expensive at the moment. But if we get behind it, price will, will eventually be cheaper than fish oil. So that's one thing. A vitamin B12, uh, which is now recommended for most people over the age of 50, which I'm not quite there yet. But anyway, uh, uh, so I take that anyway just because that's sensible on a, on a plant-based diet. Um, and then other than that, um, there's, oh, I do 
I do dabble in probiotics sometimes and uh, I can go years without, but I am taking them at the moment. I'm about to do a microbiome uh, test, which I do once every year or two. Uh, so I may stop that before my test. But, you know, I, I yeah, but other than the B12, there's nothing that's essential, um, but a probiotic um, and um, the omega-3 and also a vitamin D3 I, I take as well. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's just giving you a little booster. Yeah, that's it. So I do get a lot of sunshine as well, but um, <clears throat> um, there's some, again, some evidence around high dosing vitamin D and autoimmunity. So uh, it's another sort of uh, interesting angle where we, we explore as a community. I've got some people in our community who take very high doses of vitamin D beyond recommended daily intake. Um, and uh and and yeah, see some good things. So it's a it's a little controversial because it's not the guidelines, but some people try these things. And we always say, look, check with your GP or your clinical nutritionist or your naturopath before you change or do anything. But there's some great advice in there for everyone with inflammation, without inflammation, uh, trying to ward off arthritis in the long run, or just wanting to live better. Totally, totally. So, but um, you know, if we talk again about like the the fundamentals if we get sleep diet and exercise right then it minimizes the need for too much fancy stuff in pills i know what we took away from today was really about healthy living and i guess nipping nipping it in the bud before it gets to a point that's too bad and look we've all lived lives where we probably as you say, had antibiotics as kids, taken it for, for acne medication. We've had um, issues where we would have been on antibiotics for a while, too many Panadols. We've all done something uh, in our life to decrease the health of our gut and um, you're saying if we can get back on track with that, we're, we're on the right road. That's correct. And then the other thing I, I want to make sure that we don't leave out is that if a joint hurts, then we should focus on building strength around the joint. So this, this lot, most of the studies in this area have been done around knees, knee arthritis. So knee arthritis is largely exacerbated by weakness in the glutes and the quads. And if we have knee arthritis and we get the clicking as we go up and down the stairs or it hurts to come up off the floor, which so many people do, um, instead of thinking of it as, wear and tear in my joints because I'm getting old. If we switch it into a more empowering mindset of I've got weakness in my muscles, in my legs and butt, then we know that we can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And the studies are so consistent that if we improve the quad strength, we improve improve, uh, glute strength, uh, we have less osteoarthritic pain. And so I would encourage anyone who has a sore joint to think, how can I strengthen everything around that joint? And this even applies, I'm looking for my grip strength and I don't have it with me, but even applies to like p- pain in the fingers. Something sore in the fingers uh, doesn't need to be rheumatoid. It could be just sort of some, as we say, like osteoarthritic pain. Uh, get yourself a grip strengthener and continue to use that and build that tendon strength around those finger joints. Every joint that hurts needs surrounding soft tissue mass and strength and it will hurt less. That's a guarantee. Bloody great lesson. So not only eating well, but exercising too. It's a, 
it's a pretty simple equation, but as you say, until you're feeling the pain and until you're perhaps down in a position where you don't know what to do next, um, we often forget the simple lessons, don't we? Yeah, and it is that simple. So, you know, you guys, I know you don't talk about, uh, you know, I know the focus is healthy living to extend life and not about how can we take pills and have, you know, try and live forever. I know I, I know you made that distinction, uh, but I pay a lot of attention to um, a, a guy called Brian Johnson, who you may or may not have been following. Uh, he has reduced his metabolic age by five years since he began a project two years ago to try and extend his life. Now, um, you know, you know, we all follow someone from time to time. We've always got someone we're paying attention to in social media. So his his message is so simple, just to, to feed into what you just said. It's the biggest priority in life is to get good sleep. You should basically treat sleep as like a as the lighthouse. It does not move at that time of night, whether it be 10 p.m., 9 p.m., whatever. You do not negotiate with the lighthouse. Whatever you're doing, it goes <laughs> off, you get to bed because his, his experience is that the highest priority for, for optimal health is starts with sleep. And then he eats a plant-based diet, all right, which I found out later after I was following him for some time. Um, and then he uh, exercises for an hour every single day. So, And when people question him, like we spoke earlier about olive oil, we, we didn't get into supplements at all, but um, he diverts the topic back and says, if you get sleep, exercise, and diet right, it sort of doesn't matter. All the rest that, you know, if you're doing an hour at the gym each day and you're eating really clean, 30-plus plants a week equal a healthy microbiome. So... That's what we're trying to achieve, 30 different types of plants a week. That should be the simple simple goal and get really good sleep and make sleep a priority and not to like, you know, celebrate the fact that we're able to work till one in the morning and get up and go and continue to work and play with mm. the We shouldn't celebrate that. We should celebrate our discipline of, of sleep and diet and exercise and consider that a worthy, you know, and, uh, and wonderful uh, accolade in our life that we apply that self discipline and 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 self love to our to to each of us. Beautiful words, Clint. Thank you. I know you are a very busy man. I know you've got a lot on your plate. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks for the chat. No, thanks, Shelley. Thanks, Amanda. You guys are awesome. Keep up the wonderful work. Joint pain and arthritis is a topic we wanted to cover after learning it's on the rise in younger and older generations. Hearing Clint's story is empowering. We can all take steps to reduce inflammation in our bodies and improve the health of that oh-so-important gut microbiome. Like Clint suggested, don't become complacent about your health. Look for the root cause of any condition early so that it doesn't escalate. Let's remember to feed our microbiome and the 30 plants a week goal. If needed, try an elimination or low inflammatory diet. You'll find all products and tests discussed in today's episode at youmusttryit.com. To learn more about Clint's programs, visit pattersonprogram.com. Thank you once again for joining us. Remember, ageing well is a daily choice, so let's make some good choices. I'm off for a leafy green salad. <laughs> this has been another episode of The Ageing Project. I'm Shelley Craft, and I'll see you next week. As always, the Aging Project podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. Always seek medical advice from a qualified practitioner.